Um, turn with me in the Word of God to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. It's one of the minor prophets. So if you're still new to finding, finding it in your Bible, if you get to Nahum, it's just after that. Haggai, you've, you've gone a bit too far. We're going to read the whole first chapter, and then we will see what the Lord has given us in this passage to equip us and sustain us in the days that we live in today. So Habakkuk chapter 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are they that raises up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slack, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong and judgment proceeds. Behold, ye among the heavens, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work. In your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breath of the land to possess the dwelling place that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagles that hasten to the east. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall shut up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand, and they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be as scorn to them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and they shall pass over and defend, imputing this his power unto his God. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them, that deal treacherously and hold thy tongue, thy, thy tongue when the wicked devours the man that is more righteous than he and makes men 
as the fishes of the sea and as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their nets and gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice unto their nets and burn incense unto their drag. Because by them, their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their nets and not spare continually to slay the nations? Now, during World War II, the German U-boats became quite a menace to the Allied navies. And uh, the navies had a great problem because unless they could get to Germany, they couldn't lodge a full-scale assault. And the human, the, the U-boats made it extremely difficult. And there was a inventor during that time, time, a guy called Jeffrey Pike, who came up with an idea. Um, he, he, he proposed a plan that would counteract the situation. And the plan was nicknamed or codenamed Project Habakkuk. It was called Project Habakkuk because of what we have here in verse 5, when, when, when the Bible reads and say, Behold ye among the heathens, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your day, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. And so the, the, the project that he proposed was that they were going to build an aircraft carrier out of an iceberg. A huge iceberg that couldn't be sunk by, sunk by torpedoes. And uh, the the project had a go-ahead, and they, they eventually developed a prototype in one of the lakes in Canada before they abandoned the project. When they abandoned the project, this iceberg that they tried to build was so huge that it took, I think, almost four years before it completely melted. And that is not the type of thing that the Lord is talking about here. God is saying that He's going to do something much more significant. But before we, before we can get, out, get into that, we really need to understand what is going on here in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet that's a little bit different than all the other prophets. First and foremost, we know very little about him. Uh, it, it, it's everything that we know about Habakkuk is contained in this three chapter book that we have here. But regardless of that, we are sure that this is the word of God, and so it's God's word to us. And it doesn't have weight because of who the prophet was, but it has weight because of what God is declaring to us through his word in this passage. But it's always helpful if we understand the, 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 the narrative or the, the passage that we're reading. And actually, when we read this, 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 this prophet, we notice that it reads a little bit different than most of the other prophets. Actually, in many ways, it reads more like a psalm or a lament. You know, I think if you turn with me quickly to Psalm 2, and you'll see, we'll, we'll read through Psalm 2, and you'll see how very similar uh, Psalm 2 is with regard to, to the book of Habakkuk. Psalm 2 reads, Why do the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathens for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled, kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. See, the psalmist, just like Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, has one main question on his mind as he considers the calamity and turmoils of the nations. He says, why do the nations rage and why does the people imagine vain things against our law? It's that age-old question, why? Why does the Lord allow difficult and unpleasant and even sinful things to happen in the world? You know, you look at, you look at the, the, the narrative that is presented to us here in verses 3 to 4 of Habakkuk. It says they the cry of the prophet is, why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and victory are before me, and there are they that rises up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slack, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. You see, the, the prophet is asking, Lord, why, why do you allow stuff like this to happen in the world? Anyone who's ever engaged with unbelievers and talked to them about the Lord Jesus Christ would have, on numerous occasions, I believe, gotten asked the question, well, why, if there is a good God, does he allow bad things to happen in the world? You know, in the context of this, this, this prophet, the book that we're looking at, this is the very thing that the prophet is asking. Now the prophet is, 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 is ministering during the last couple of years of the southern king, kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Um, we don't specifically know what king, what king was um, in control of Judah at this time, but it's more than likely uh, Manasseh or somebody like that. And wickedness was very rife. During that time, you know, it's recorded that during the days of Manasseh, people started sacrificing their children for means of prosperity. You know, and, and we would look at that and we'd shake our head, heads. But yet, how in our day is it any different when people would abort child after child just for the sake of having better opportunities in life? 
well, we weren't quite ready, so we thought that we could just get rid of a child. Is that any different than what was going on in Judah at this time? And yet, as the prophet looks to this, he recognized that he's the servant of uh, the holy, eternal God, and he's asking, Lord, why do you let this continue among your people? How many times then I, then I wonder, you, uh, have you not in your life asked the question, why? You know, whether it be, why, Lord, does my grandchild have to go through cancer? Why, Lord, do I have to go through this difficulty or that difficulty, whatever they may be? Why can't the doctors just sort out this problem that I have and figure out how to get me back to normal strength so that I can, can continue serving the Lord? Why is probably one of those oldest questions that we have, isn't it? I can remember when we just moved back to the UK uh, in 2009, we were stationed in Germany and we moved back to take up ministry with Sajra. And uh, we, we lived in, in Borden. And there was a couple that lived just opposite, opposite of us. Uh, they had two little children. One was a boy, five, and the uh, little girl was three years old. And they didn't, they didn't look too well after their children. They were but left to roam free. And whenever I got to the front of the garden, this little boy would just hang around me. And that was all great. But man, I've never experienced anybody that could ask so many why questions as this little boy. You know, wash the car. Why are you washing the car? Well, it's dirty. Why is it dirty? Well, because I drove on the road. Why did you drive on the road? You know, everything just had a question why. And to some extent, I feel like the prophet Habakkuk feels a little bit like that when he recognized the wonder and majesty of this God who he serves. And then he can't comprehend and quite place in his mind that why is this evil happening among God's people? Of all the people in the world, why is it happening among God's people? Think of this burden that this prophet is going through. You know, I wonder, sometimes we as Christians, we like to complain and stress our displeasure about how things are in the world. You know, we look at how things are at this moment and we go, you know, the world is just a wicked place. I pray that the Lord will come and do something. But are we praying in the same way as this prophet is praying? You know, another another quote from Leonard Ravenhill is he, he once said, the Lord doesn't just answer prayer. The Lord answers desperate prayer. You know, he uses the example, uses the example of, of 1 Samuel. Turn with me to 1 Samuel quickly. I think he, he focuses on that. And, and he looks to the prayer of Hannah. He said, here was, here was a woman who desperately desired to have a child. She was, first of all, in the context, in the, in the, in, in the culture that they lived, unless a woman had a child, if her husband were to die, she would be destitute. But more than that, she desired a child because she knew this was the way that she could carry forth the Lord's work. And we see that in her prayer. It says in verse 9 of chapter, chapter 1, read with me there, it says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Silo and after they had drunk. Now Eliud the priest sat upon the seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord 
and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said to the Lord of hosts, If thou will indeed look upon the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. Say she had bitterness of soul. She wept before the Lord. I think when we consider the prophet Habakkuk, it's kind of the idea that we have, that he had a bitterness of soul before the Lord. He was desperate before the Lord. He wanted to see God's people being brought back today at that place where they would be the faithful people of this eternal God whom he worshipped. Yet, we see in the passage in Habakkuk that even though the prophet was desperate, even though the prophet desired to seek the Lord, he was not a man that was just going to sit on the sidewalks with his hand in his head saying, saying stuff like, oh, woe is me. The world is just too bad. I just can't do anything. There's nothing anybody can do. He knew that prayer was the one thing that sets us, the children of God, apart from any other people in the world. My brothers and sisters, do we not recognize this about prayer? That you and I have access to the eternal creator God, the one who spoke all things in existence, the one who sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for, for us on the cross. We have access to that throne of grace in the same way as this prophet did. And this prophet poured out his heart before the Lord and asked the question, why? And as he asked this question, we see that the thing that he did, perhaps most successfully, is that he kept his eye upon the Lord throughout his discourse. He didn't swerve away to vain imaginations or some random thoughts about what the Lord could do. He knew for certain who his God was. And in that we see the Lord answered him in light of that truth. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 he says, Behold, ye are among the heathen. So he says to the prophet, You are among this evil people, this fallen people. And regard and wonder and 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 wonder marvelous, marvelous, marvelously, for I will do a work. And this is the first truth that the prophet needed to deal with. There wasn't the prophet's, prophet's work. Yes, God called the prophet to reveal this truth to him, but the truth was concerning the work of God. And he said, I will do a work. It's not your work. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not my work. It is the Lord's work. And we need to remember that. And, and, and you might think, well, Tian, that, that's stepping a little bit far because this is, this is talking about what the Lord is going to do in this context. But I'll remind you, how did the apostles not deal with this text? Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. And you see how, how Peter dealt with this text in the book of Acts chapter 13. Um, no, sorry, is it chapter, sorry, chapter 3, not chapter 13. 
No, I apologize. Turn with me to chapter 13. It's not Paul, it's Peter. Um, and Peter, Peter focuses on this, this text. And he says from verse 36 in chapter 13, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he who God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And by him, and by him all that believes are justified for all things, for which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest he come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophet. Behold, ye despisers and wanderers and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Is that not very true, isn't it? How many people... Today is there not still that will not accept the fact that God became man and died for you and me. You see, men, men love to make it their own work, isn't it? If we were to have a class on comparative religions, we would have to understand that there's really only two religions in this world. There's the religion of grace, the fact that you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, or the religion of works, whether it be keeping all the pillars of Islam so that you can earn your way into heaven, or whether it be in Buddhism that you just get better and better with any generation, making sure you do no harm to another creature. Always it's the work of man, but the word of God declares to us that the Lord will do a work. And that ultimate work was him sending his son to die for us on the cross so that we may have eternal life. So that's the first thing the prophet is reminded of. But then also in verse 6, the Lord declares unto the prophet, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. Now, yes, this Chaldeans was a dreadful nation. They were fearful and terrible, the Bible describes them to be. But the key of that passage is again that it is the Lord who raises up. He's the one who selected this nation to act as a means of judgment over God's people. But more importantly, we need to remember that if God raises us up into newness of life, turn with me to, to uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Paul says to us, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, that were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like Christ was raised up from the dead, 
by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in this newness of life. My brothers and sisters, yes, the Lord was raising up this Chaldeans to act as a form of judgment upon His people, but we need to remember that He raises us up into newness of life. So these are the truths that the prophet is considering at this moment. The Lord is the one that will work and the Lord is the one that raises up a people. But now the prophet enters into a tremendous predicament. He listens to what the Lord is about to do. And as he tries to comprehend, he thinks about all of the calamities that will come upon those people who God had set apart for himself. And he gets to the point where he says in verse 13, says, Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and hold thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? So this is the predicament that the prophet faced. He looks at this. And he said, Lord, how can you use a people to, 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 to proclaim your judgment and to follow through with your judgment? A people that are more wicked than the people that you are coming to judge. So much more wicked that they almost make the, Ju the Judah look like righteous people comparatively. And the, pro the prophet is really struggling with this idea. He doesn't know how to how to deal with it. And the key that we see in this passage is the prophet, even in the midst of his struggle, refuses to take his eyes off the Lord, his God. He cries out in verse 3 aloud. He says, why does all these evils happen? And in verse 13, he says, how can, at verse 13, he says, how can you use this evil people as your means of judgment? So he's entering into an even greater struggle. You know, I wonder if you've ever in your life entered into a time of struggle. And if you've ever gone through something that you just didn't know how to get through. And in that time, you realize, man, I really need to turn my focus onto the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to behold him afresh again. And what a privilege don't we have to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? We're reminded in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 how magnificent this Christ is whom we worship. When he said, in verse 1 he says of chapter 1, he said, God who at sundry times and in very diverse manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, had in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sit down at the right hand of the majesty, majesty on high. This is the God. This is the God whom our, the, the prophet worshipped and had his, his, his face turned towards. Now the problem is, brothers and sisters, we tend to think that it's only when we go through difficulties 
that we need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ in this way. The, the, the reality is that every moment of our life is a moment of difficulty. You know, and just because we are not struggling doesn't mean we don't need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ at that very moment. Think of how the Lord cursed this world when Adam and Eve sinned. Go, go with me to, to Genesis 1 so we can just, just reflect, uh, Genesis chapter 3, so we can just reflect on this. A lot of people sometimes think, you know, yeah, bad things happen. Um, it's, it's just one of those things. We're living in a, in a fallen world. But if we consider what the Lord said to Adam and Eve during the curse, we recognize that God cursed this world so that you and I may realize that we need a Savior. That we may realize that we are not strong enough to go through this world in and of ourselves. There's never a moment where you're strong enough to face this world on your own. If you think there is a moment like that, then you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we should truly put our hope in Him every second of the day. Look what the Lord said um, to, well, he started off with the serpent. And the Lord said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed. So the Lord is the one who curses Satan. Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shall thou go and dust shall thou eat all the days of the life. And I will put, so again the Lord said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now the Lord speaking unto the woman. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. So who's multiplying the woman's sorrow? It is the Lord. I will greatly uh, multiply thy sorrow and thy, uh, 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 and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And now the Lord speaks to Adam, and he says, Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto, unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground. Why? Why did God curse the ground? The very next sentence. For thy sake. In sorrow shall thou eat of it all the days of thy life. God cursed the ground for the sake of Adam. That he may realize this world is a hard world. This world is a harsh world. And this, the taskmaster of this world is the evil taskmaster that will demand more and more and more, regardless how satisfied you may think you are. You will always recognize that you cannot fulfill the needs that you require. Only Christ can fulfill those needs. And for your sake, this world is, has, has, has been cursed. And this is what Habakkuk is experiencing. He's experiencing the reality and consequences of sin in every way. And yet, in the midst of that, he is able to turn his eyes to the Lord God, his Savior. Why? Not because he suddenly had epiphany and now went, you know what, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ. 
When we look at the prophets throughout the Old Testament, one of the things that is said of them, if they were prophet, they were men of exemplary lives. They were very fact in the same ways as the pastors of today are called to be above reproach. They were men that were above reproach. And if they weren't, they were declared to be a false prophet. And they were stoned to death. You know, in many ways, I think we should start stoning false prophets to death again. Maybe we'll have less of them. But anyway, that's not politically correct. Um, we will we will leave that. But we see that these men were exemplary men. And Habakkuk was a man that always had his eyes focused upon his God. And that's why in the midst of this calamity, he was able to keep his eyes focused on the Lord his God. The prophet struggled with the reality of what God said here as he couldn't comprehend how God would use this evil, evil people. He didn't despair. Oh, well, he, he, he didn't go into despair. He was desperate in prayer, but he looked to the Lord Jesus Christ. He looked to his God. And if we look at verse 12, he says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. First thing that the prophet reminds himself of about the attributes of God is that God is the everlasting God. The everlasting God of whom this prophet never took his eyes off even once. Turn with me again to Hebrews chapter 1. just want to read a few more verses there from verse 8 through to verse 12. Look what it says here. But unto the Son, Son of God, unto the Son he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellow. And thou, Lord, in the beginning has said, has laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remain, and they all shall wax old, as does the garment, and as the vesture shall thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall never fail. This is the first truth that this prophet was hanging on to for dear life. He knew that his God was the everlasting God. The God who will never let him down. The God who will always sustain him in the way that he needs to be sustained for the purposes that God has ordained in his life. And that's what we need to remember, brothers and sisters. When we go through difficulties, when we go through trials, it might be that very trial or that very struggle that you face that God is using at that moment to form you more and more into the image 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, another, another story that Leonard Ravenhill told, he, 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 he told, spoke of a pastor who, uh, whenever he struggled with his sermon preparation, he'd go for a little walk. And this particular day he was struggling again and he went for a walk. And as he walked through the town somewhere in England, he came across a blacksmith shop and he saw a guy standing in a nice jacket instructing a guy with a hammer who's hitting away at this metal and sticking the metal back in the fire, taking it out, hitting it some more, and the guy's giving some more instruction. And he walked up to him and he said to him, you know, are you, what are you guys making? And the guy with the nice jacket walked over to him and he said, well, you see all the beautiful gates here in our town. Well, my, my black blacksmith shop has made all of them. And, and I'm, I'm the master black, blacksmith here. And all of those gates are my work. And the, the preacher looked at him and he said, your work? Very much looked like that fellow over there with the hammer is doing all the work. He said, well, what you don't understand, that fellow over there has no clue what he's doing, really. I hired him to come and hit the metal this way and hit it that way. And before you know it, we've got one of these beautiful gates that you see all over our town. And the pastor stood back and he said, you know what? You just preached one of the best sermons that I've heard in a long time. The guy looked a little bit confused and he said, what do you mean? He said, you've just showed me exactly how the Lord uses Satan in our lives. Sometimes we see a little chip on my shoulder here and, and the Lord say to him, hit that off and hit that off. And before you know it, he's made me into the exact image of the Lord Jesus Christ as he continued to work for the glory of the Lord our God. You know, and this is the everlasting God that this prophet kept his eye on despite the calamity that came right before him. But look, that's not the only thing he focused on. The next thing he focused on, I'm going to skip over one and go to the fact that he said, my holy one. He knew his God. He knew that he was his holy one. You know, and you sometimes think, well, what does, what does it mean to be the Holy God one? You know, I like sometimes when I sit and study with people and we come to different words, I say, well, what, how do you define the word holy? And sometimes they will see, well, it's, it's, it's perfect, isn't it? It's when you're perfect. I say, well, what, what does it mean if you're righteous? Well, that's what it, that's when you're perfect. And they kind of come across the same idea. But in, 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 in the Hebrew language, the word holy comes from, from the word to be separate. To be unlike anything else. You know, the late Archie Sproul, he, he used the, one of the best explanation of what the holiness of God is like. He said, what would you say when you consider the holiness of God? Would you consider him to be more like the highest archangel in heaven or more, more like a bacteria on your toilet bowl? What, which one of them are more like God? And often the people would say, you know, the angel, or if you know your theology, you would say none of them is like God. Because God is unlike anything else. He is completely separate. He is God. There is none like him. And the prophet recognized that he was his holy one. I wonder if you can sit here tonight, brothers and sisters, and with confidence in your heart say, he is my holy one. The Lord God is the one who redeemed you through the sacrifice of his son upon the cross, when you put your hope and trust in him. And if that's the case, then you can also, like this prophet says, the Lord God is my holy one. 
Look what he says, the, 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 the final thing that he focuses on in this passage is when he says, Oh Lord, my God. You know, think, think of what, think of Isaiah, turn, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, verses uh, 14 through to 15. Thus said the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus say the Lord, which make it a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. See, the Lord God is our God. You know, if, if that is the truth that resonates in the heart of every believer, then we will be equipped to face anything. You know, if you know that the one who spoke all things into creation is there with you, is the one who sustains you every day, then we can face anything and everything. The Lord God is the one who sent His Son into this world to die for us on the cross. Imagine what that cost us, our, our Lord. You know, if he, if he spoke a universe like this into existence over a period of six days, can He consider that power? And yet, to redeem a people like us, it cost the sacrifice of his only son. You know, William Grunel, um, in, in the Christian with complete honor, he said this, that which cost the Lord much, he will also hold with great power. And that's very true, isn't it? If you think of the cost that God paid for us, then can we not be sure and certain that he will sustain us through each and everything. And that's the truth that the prophet is dealing with. Now, if you go and you read the rest of the book of Habakkuk, you will see how the, the prophet continues to hold on to the Lord, despite what is going on. He gets to the point where he says in chapter 3, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, and neither shall the fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive tree shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herds in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon, upon mine high places to the chief of the singers of my stringed instruments. Will you put your hope in the Lord your God and recognize that even though everything else goes wrong in your life, still he is the sustainer of your soul, the one who upholds you through every, every circumstance, as every circumstance and the one who you could put your hope in every moment of the day. Brothers and sisters, let's, 
Let's turn to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you are able to uphold us in any difficult circumstance, Father. And it's when we say that, that we recognize, Lord, there's actually never a moment where the Christian isn't upheld by your power and grace. And Father, we recognize that we need, need to repent, Lord, because there's so many times in our lives where we think we're doing okay, where we think stuff is going great, and yet we fail to look to you in those times, Lord. We recognize, Father, that there's never a moment in the Christian life where we do not depend and hope upon you. And Father, I pray that as we continue in life, that we wouldn't just be a people who turn to you when things get difficult and challenging, but that we would be like this prophet, people who would put their hope in you continually, would look to you every moment of our lives, Father, so that we may be equipped, so that we may be challenged and built up for all the good purposes that you have prepared for us. Lord, please do this great work in us because we recognize and acknowledge that we are not able to do it in and of ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray.